Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Anyone had a dream recently that you can remember? Don't worry, I'm not going to ask you what it is. Yeah, few people. I, weirdly, I actually had a dream last night. You know, I'm actually going to preach on dreams. And I had a dream last night. Random dream. I did tell Jamie about it beforehand. I was walking through my home village back in Northern Ireland. And, uh, and in my home village, there's like a hill. And there's an old castle on it. Ancient kind of castle. Been there for like 500 years. Where the English used to defend themselves against the Irish who wanted to kill them and stuff. Anyway, that was up on this hill. And I've never been to it. And in the dream, I just stopped while walking through my village, and said, I'm going to walk up to this castle. It's kind of in ruins. Walked up to the castle, and there was loads of people visiting it. And I walked into the castle, and Jamie Semple was in there. He was already visiting the castle. I said, hey, Jamie, great to see you. Shall we check out this place together? And he's like, yeah. And then I can't remember what happened next. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that was, that was my dream uh, that I had last night. Um, I don't know if any of you had sort of similar randomish dreams that you're like, yeah, not really sure what that is. Um, maybe you have. I don't know if any of you have ever had like similar types of dreams that you have quite often. Anyone have those? Like maybe a dream where you're kind of, I don't know, you're someone's chasing you. You know, you kind of have that quite regularly or you're falling or like you're flying. Often kind of common ones. Well, apparently, a recent American survey revealed uh, the most common recurring dreams that people have. Uh, And I think we've got a little little, um, graphic on it. I'm not sure if you can see it. Oh, it's tiny. You cannot see that. That is way, way too small. Look good on my laptop, but there's no way you can see that. Anyway, number one on there is falling. So don't bother looking at it. I'll tell you. Number one on there is 53.5% of people say that actually a regular dream they have is just falling. Um, Number two on there is being chased. So 50.9% of people in this survey say that they regularly have dreams where someone or something is chasing them. Um, Probably included in that is my son, Max. Every now and again, we'll have dreams that bears are chasing them. Um, So that's him. Um, Number three on there, teachers will all be on with this one, is uh, people regularly have dreams about being back in school. so 37.9% said uh, they had regular dreams about that. 34% said they regularly had dreams about being unprepared for a test or an important event. Uh, and then, th- and fifth on the list is 32.6% said they regularly had dreams about flying. I've never had that. I would love to have regular dreams about flying. I, that'd be great. Like, you know, the snowman and flying. That would be great. Anyway. Now, I'll be honest, I was able to read through all of these, which you probably can't because it's too small, but there was nothing massively surprising on there. Apart from the last one, I don't know if you can see it, the very last one, apparently 1.1% of this survey had regular dreams about having glass in their mouth. Like, yeah, I was like, is that a thing? Is that a thing? I was like, oh, that is, yeah. So, anyway, that was the one that surprised me anyway. Now, I was going to ask you, is there anything on there that you're like, yep, that's me. But I realize you can't see any of it. But any of those ones I mentioned in the top five that any of you kind of are like, yep, I've had ones like that. Yep, quite a lot of you actually. Yeah, I was talking to Elizabeth. She was saying, yeah, the one about being unprepared for a test or an exam, that's the one I always have. And I'll be honest, I, ha- I often have a form of it in the sense that often I have dreams where like, 
I'll be going to preach somewhere and I'm late and I'm in a rush and I arrive just before I'm due to speak and I stand up and I have no notes and I have nothing. And I'm just like, hey everyone, Jesus saves, amen. <laughs> and that's just like, I'm done, that's me. And I, yeah, I, have, I regularly have that kind of dream. Max, as I said, regularly has dreams where he's chased by bears and I always ask him, did they catch you? And he's like, no, I woke up and they didn't catch you. Oh, good, Max, they didn't catch you, good. But, you know, we can, we can joke around a bit about dreams and how random they can sometimes seem. But on a more serious note, God does sometimes communicate to his people through dreams. And we see this in numerous places throughout the Bible. And it still happens today. Sometimes we do have dreams that are from God. And that's what I want to talk about today. Dreams from God. That's what we're going to talk about today. Now, this morning is the start of a new sermon series called God Meant It For Good, which is going to be going through the life of Joseph from the Bible, the back end of of Genesis. And over the next nine Sundays, we're going to be looking at the ups and downs of Joseph's life. And let me tell you, if you're not that familiar with the life of Joseph, there is a lot of ups and there is a lot of downs in this guy's life. I mean, he starts out getting this beautiful coat by his dad, who's favors him over his brothers, he has these dreams, his brothers get jealous, they sell him into slavery, he's brought to Egypt, he works his way up this official's kind of household, and then this official's wife tries to seduce him, he doesn't go for it, she lies about him, he gets chucked in jail, then he he interprets these dreams and eventually gets out of jail and becomes the prime minister of Egypt, has these other dreams that tell him that a famine's coming and to store up food, so he stores up food in Egypt, And then everybody from around, when the famine starts, want to come to Egypt to get this food. And his brothers come and they don't recognize him and they bow down to him, like the dream said. And then there's hugs and there's tears and there's reconciliation. And I'm like, as stories go, I mean, this has got the lot. I mean, jealousy, sibling rivalry, lies, deceit, forgiveness. And then this eventually, this happy kind of Hollywood ending. You know, everyone's like, oh, this is so good. This is great. Whoever's getting to preach on that one has got a good one. But yeah, all ends up really nice and I think it's pretty easy to see why like Andrew Lloyd Webber decided to make a musical out of it because it's just such a good story I mean and why the musical has been so many so popular for this last 50 years anybody seen the musical Joseph and his amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat is it good tell me please tell me it's good we wear yeah yeah it works it's good it's good lots of colors and lots of singing and I'd love to see it sometime but my favorite part of the story of Joseph has got to be how it ends Because Joseph basically looks back and reflects on the fact that despite the bad intentions of his brothers, God had meant everything that had happened to him for good. And this is the main theme of the story that this series will draw out. God's sovereignty through all the ups and downs of life. Now, God may sometimes not look like he's in control, but what the story Joseph tells us is, yeah, no matter what's going on, God is still in control. And maybe for some of you here today, you may be going through some tough times in life at the minute. But this story, the story of Joseph, shows us that even in the tough times, God is still control. He still has a good plan for you. And he is still carrying out that plan and fulfilling that plan. So let's start at the beginning of the story, which is normally the best place to start, which is in Genesis chapter 37, verses 1 to 11, which is... I mean, this passage is basically, I'll, I'll summarize it um, and then we'll read it. It's basically about some dreams that God gave Joseph, basically of his family all bowing down to him. And he then tells his brothers about these dreams. Now, they don't for a second think these dreams are from God. 
But instead, they probably think uh, these dreams have come because Joseph is an arrogant little so-and-so. And so when Joseph tells them these dreams, tells his brother these dreams, they, his brothers, they convey to him in no uncertain terms that he's a pompous little git, basically. That's my paraphrase. That's not the message or anything, but that's basically what they convey to him in this passage. So it'll appear behind me. Or you can read along in your Bible. But the interesting thing is that we see from these dreams is that actually they are from God. We find it later in the story. They are from God and they are fulfilled much later in the story. So Genesis 37, 1 to 11. Let's read it together. It says this. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. Now, Jacob had four wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now, Israel, Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made him an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that the father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to them. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of corn out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered round mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream and this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father, I love this little bit, his father kept the matter in mind. Lovely little phrase. Yeah, he rebuked him publicly, but he kept the matter in mind. Now this morning, I just want us to see two things from this passage, and then we're going to finish and we're going to go back into worship. First thing I want us to see this morning is that God works in the mess, and the second thing is that God gives dreams. God works in the mess, God gives dreams. So firstly, God works in the mess. Now, as many of you know, my wife Elizabeth is a relationship and family counsellor. Most of her sessions are online, um, normally in the evenings. Um, and she normally does them in our living room. So what we do is we, in an evening when she's working, we get all the kids upstairs, and I put them to bed, and she does her sessions downstairs in the living room on Zoom. Now, one thing we always do before she starts counselling is tidy the living room. Even though she's on Zoom, and even though nobody on there can actually see the rest of the room, you know, you can't see the floor, it doesn't matter if it's covered in toys, but she always insists we tidy the room. Uh, and I've basically learned this about Elizabeth, she doesn't like working in the mess, okay? She does not like working in the mess. And to be fair, she said to me, to be honest, Andy, I'm normally working through so much mess in the relationship that I'm trying to salvage. I just don't need a messy house as well. But when we look at Joseph's family, I mean, gosh, it is an absolute mess. I mean, complete mess, you know? But if the story of Joseph teaches us anything, it's that God does work in the mess, God works in the mess. And we see some very messy family dynamics here. I mean, sibling rivalry, jealousy, polygamy, parental favoritism, mixed in with pride and arrogance and hatred. I mean, and and throw into the fact that Jacob had 
12 sons to four wives. I mean, just that in itself, how that all works out. I mean, it's, uh, it's the messiest of all messy family situations. I, I was saying to Elizabeth, like, man, Elizabeth, you're a family therapist. How would you sort out Joseph's family? And she's like, uh, <laughs> I mean, they don't pay me enough for that kind of you know, stuff. But, but I think the first thing we need to remember here is that God does not endorse or encourage any of these behaviors that we see here. You know, we can sometimes read the Bible, especially the Old Testament, and look at the so-called heroes of the faith, like Jacob or Joseph, and somehow think that, you know, God must have somehow approved of their behavior because, you know, why else would he have chosen them and used them for his purposes? You know, surely God must have thought, oh, these guys were good people or saw something in them because otherwise he wouldn't have chosen them and blessed them like he did. But that is, that is not true. That is not the case. You know, God did not think polygamy was a good thing. God did not think favoring one child over the others was a good thing. God did not think that jealousy and hatred and arrogance were good things. This passage we're looking at today is not in the Bible. It is definitely not in the Bible to teach us how to conduct our family relationships. <laughs> Let's all get that straight, okay? In fact, if anything, this passage is more of an example of how not to conduct your family relationships. It's essentially, most of the stuff in here is like, yeah, just do the opposite and you'll be doing all right. Instead, I think this passage, what it does is it, it, it gives us a glimpse into God's kindness and his patience. The fact that God is willing to work through this messed up family, he is willing to work through Jacob and Joseph despite their shortcomings as a father and despite their shortcomings as a brother. And you know, he does the same with us, doesn't he? I mean, he works through us despite our shortcomings. And that's, that's what grace is, isn't it? That's the beautiful thing. It's what grace is. He works through us despite our shortcomings and our failures. Now, God doesn't discount this family because of their dysfunctional relationships. And as we, fo- as we follow this family's story over the next weeks, we're going to see that Joseph's arrogance eventually will turn into humility. And his brothers will have to face up to their hatred and will have to seek forgiveness. But it's a long and painful and messy process. Now, God doesn't overlook the mess. But he also doesn't fix it with the click of a finger and make everything perfect. He uses people and different circumstances to bring change. And I think, I think there's an encouragement and, and a challenge in this for us. Like God doesn't discount people because of their mess. You know, but he's willing to, to work through it with us to see change. He's willing to still use us despite our mess, despite the stuff we've done. You know, he doesn't... He still uses. And I think the challenge for us here is for us to do the same as what God does. To not discount or reject people when their lives are a bit messy. You know, I think sometimes we can do that in church. You know, you you only get to do something in church if your lives are kind of put together. But actually to be like, no, no, we're not going to discount you. We're going to get you involved. We're going to work with you even though there's mess in your lives. But working through the messiness to see change, when we do that, I mean, it takes time and it's hard work. And sometimes it can feel like one step forward and two steps back. I mean, I was talking from, to someone from church uh, uh, recently who, was, who basically was saying that um, they're trying to help their brother, whose life is just a mess, work through the mess. And it's difficult and it's hard and it's like head-bangingly frustrating um, and just trying to work through, the, to, to just trying to help this, this, their brother just to see a little bit of God's grace, to see a little bit of change, a little bit of improvement, a little bit of stability in their life. And, uh, and it's interesting, they were sharing, it, sharing with me recently about how frustrating it is. And then I was able to say, look, actually, where was your brother three years ago? And he said, oh yeah, it was 10 times worse three years ago. And you're like, well, you, 
you know, God has been working through you to bring redemption, to bring change through their lives. So, yeah, big thing. Important thing for us to do, to do what God is doing, to work through the mess of people's lives to help them. Now, you know, our society tells us if someone does the wrong thing or offends us, we cancel them, don't we? That is, you cancel. You, that's what cancel culture is. You cut them out of your life. You get rid of them, okay? If they offend you, they do something wrong, they're gone. And you know, one thing that that does is it keeps life nice and neat and tidy, you know? I like this person, I do not like this person. I talk to this person, I do not talk to this person. This person is good, this person is bad. I will be kind to this person, but not kind to this person, you know? It's neat and tidy, you know? Life's all sewn up, good people, bad people. But you know, church ain't so neat and tidy, you know? Church isn't like that. That's why church, when lived well, is so powerful and countercultural. because with God's help, we work through the mess. You know, we don't condone sin. We want to see change, but we show forgiveness and we show patience to one another. And and we sometimes wish God would just, you know, click his finger, make all the mess disappear, make all the brokenness right. And of course he can do that. But a lot of the times he chooses to work through it. And this can often be slow and painful, but that's, that's how he often chooses to do things. So that's the first thing I want to share from this passage, that God works in the mess And the challenge for us is to do the same, to work through the mess of people's lives, to help them see the grace of God and help them see change. Now, second thing I want us to see this morning is is that God gives dreams. God does give dreams. Now, in verses 5 and 9, or 5 through to 9, we see Joseph given two dreams by God. In one of them, the brothers are working in a field and their sheaves bow down to his. And in the other, the sun and moon and 11 stars bow down to Joseph. Now, do you notice... The thing that everybody does in the story with the dreams, everybody takes the dreams seriously. Everybody takes them seriously. Joseph takes them seriously enough to tell his family. The brothers take them seriously so much so that it makes them hate Joseph even more. And and his dad publicly rebukes him, but he keeps it in mind, you know? Jacob's had a bit of game in this whole area. He knows that sometimes God can speak to you through dreams and visions and odd ways. So he's like, ah, I'm not dismissing this. None of them dismissed these dreams. Why is that? It's because people back then took dreams way more seriously than we do in our 21st century society. Now, I reckon dreams aren't something we spend a huge amount of time thinking about as rational 21st century Westerners. But, you know, I think every culture in the world always has their blind spots. And I think maybe this is one of ours. I think maybe this is one of ours. So I think it's, it's important for us to remind ourselves that dreams are a, a pretty common way for God to communicate. And we see this right through the Bible. We see it in church history. And as we continue following the story of of Joseph um, over these next weeks, we'll see that dreams play an important role, not just in in this chapter. Now, I'm going to finish with this, but I think there's, there's three things I think it's important for us to learn in how we approach our dreams. All right. When you have a dream, I think first thing it's important to do is pay attention to it. You know, that might mean writing it down. That might mean sharing with someone. Hey, what do you think about this? 
Second thing is to discern their meaning. That might involve asking God, God, what does this mean? Or talking to someone you know, Christian, what do you think this might mean? And the third thing is to hold them lightly. So to not dismiss it, but hold it, but don't like base your whole life on it to be like, okay, I'm going to hold it. Like what Jacob just hold it. Yeah, I see this. I'm going to hold this, but just lightly. And I think this passage is a great reminder to pay more attention to our dreams and to even ask God to speak to us through our dreams. And you know, about, uh, must be about seven years ago, I was due to preach at the church I grew up in back in Northern Ireland. And shortly after that, I was due to do the, the talks, all the, the talks at a week-long youth event at a place called Cape and Ray Hall up near Lancaster. And a few weeks beforehand, one night I had a dream. And um, in the dream, the, the program director of this kind of Christian holiday center, Cape and Ray, a guy called Dougie, was in the church I grew up in in Northern Ireland. I was like, oh, that's a bit random because he's not from Northern Ireland and he's never been there. So he's in this church and he's at the front of the church in Northern Ireland with all the people in the church. And he was at the front and he was talking, but no one in the whole church could understand what he was saying. It was just complete gobbledygook. But also he couldn't understand what everybody else was saying as well. So neither of them could understand each other. And in the dream, I was the only person who could understand what both of them were saying to each other. And I remember having this dream and thinking the next morning, that's kind of an odd dream. I was like, Elizabeth, what do you think this means? Well, I don't know. Um, but I didn't dismiss it. Um, I paid attention to it. I, I wrote it down. Um, and I did what I, I do now with any dream uh, I can remember is I asked God, God, is there something you're trying to tell me through this dream? So that's the first thing that's important to do, pay attention. But often it takes some discernment to figure out what a dream means and what you should do about it. I mean, it was easy for Jacob and Joseph. They all just knew immediately how to interpret Joseph's dreams and what it meant. They were just like, yeah, that's easy to see who you're talking about there. And sometimes it's like that. There's a guy, uh, Murtaza, Afghan guy, used to go to CCM Lady Barn. He's since moved to London. But I remember when he shared how he became a Christian from a Muslim background, he said, Andy, how I became a Christian was I had a dream, and in the dream, uh, a man in white appeared to me on a road. I was sitting on the side of the road. He appeared to me, and he came over and gave me a book and said, read that, and then walked on. And I turned the book over, and it said the Holy Bible on it. Um, and I realized that the man who had given the Bible was Jesus. So he's like, Jesus appeared in a dream, gave me a Bible, and told me to read it. So he woke up and was like, I'm going to find a Bible, and I'm going to read it. You know? And for him clear you know jesus bible dream goes reads the bible joins the church gets saved and that was how he got saved really uh, if you were at the baptism service a couple of weeks ago there was a lady there called babs she um she was wasn't sure whether to become a christian she said lord can you give me a sign she was praying with her eyes closed and she said i got a vision of jesus coming towards me in a golden robe saying you know become a christian she was like open open one eye to see if anybody else saw it nobody did and she was like okay that's a sign then yeah that's, that's an easy one. I get that. So sometimes it's obvious, but often it's not so obvious. And when I had that dream seven years ago, I prayed about it and I asked God, is there something you're trying to tell me through this dream? And honestly, I felt him say very strongly, I felt him say that the, the meaning of the dream is I'm going to use you to make what's unclear clear. I'm going to use you to make what's unclear, clear. And I shared this meaning to Elizabeth, and she's like, yeah, that makes sense. 
What happened next? I did the youth week. There's 150 young people there, all between sort of 13 and 17-year-olds. Um, I made the theme of my talks, more, more than meets the eye. So like there's more to Christianity than meets the eye. You think Christianity is all about this? No, there's more to it than meets the eye. And loads of the young people, I realized once I got there, weren't Christians. They weren't saved. But through the course of the week, what was unclear to them about Jesus and the gospel became clear, and loads of them got saved. I was like, wow, God, I see what you were trying to communicate to me there. Now, you might be kind of thinking, okay, that's cool, but like, why can't God be a bit more clear, you know? Like, and he was a bit cryptic, you know, you had to kind of, why, isn't, why does it have to be like that? Well, have you ever heard the expression, a picture says a thousand words? You know, sometimes a dream or a vision can convey so much more than a command ever could. Sometimes it's just way more. And also, another reason it's often not clear is because when it's not clear, what you have to do is you have to lean into God. You, you've got to seek him and you've got to ask him, hey God, what is this about? You've got to pray to him. You've got to come to him. And ultimately, what God most wants is relationship. And actually, when things aren't clear, it causes us to lean into God and relate to him and talk to him. And that's what he wants. He wants relationship. If every dream was just hear ye, hear ye, Andy, go to said person and tell about Jesus. You know, there wouldn't be a relationship being built there. It would just be like, oh, right, okay, do it. But when it's unclear, we've got to press into God to seek him out. And that's what he wants. He wants us to draw near to him. He wants that relationship. So when we approach dreams, we're to pay attention. We're to discern their meaning. And thirdly, we're to hold them lightly. Now, I love the little phrase right at the end of this passage. It says, Jacob kept the matter in mind. Love that. He didn't get angry like his sons. Because Jacob had some experience of God speaking through dreams and, dreams and visions. He thought to himself, that, you know, there might be something in this. Not definitely, but he just logged it. He kept it in, in mind. Now, Joseph paid attention to his dreams, and he was able to discern and interpret them. But I bet you he would never have imagined how his dreams would have become reality. He could never have imagined that he would have had to be sold into slavery, spend years in prison, then become the Pharaoh's right-hand man and save a whole nation and his family from starvation. And only after that would his dreams be fulfilled. And I think that's an important lesson for us too, because sometimes God speaks to us through a dream or a word or a picture, but then we're perhaps a bit too quick at filling in the blanks of how this dream will become reality. And when it doesn't happen the way we think, we get discouraged, maybe disillusioned. We either doubt ourselves or God. And that's what I mean by holding on to dreams lightly. It's about allowing God to fulfill it in his own way and in his own timing. And maybe, I don't know, I mean, I was thinking, like, it was last Saturday night, um, uh, get a bit random. Last Saturday night, I, before church last Saturday, night, I dreamt I was at church in this room, um, and it was the room was full of people, and someone was standing right here where I am, and they were anchoring, they were hosting the service, but they couldn't get the words out. They, they were like, I just can't get the words out. I can't speak. They were like completely, and I was sitting basically about there, and I was basically mouthing the words to them. I'm like. 
to help them kind of say what they were going to say. And I remember last Saturday, last Sunday morning, thinking it's a bit odd that dream, isn't it? It's random. I said to Elizabeth, "That's this weird dream about like, like yeah, what is it? What is it?" And I don't know. During this week, I've been kind of praying to God. God, is there anything in this? Is there something you're trying to tell me? And I just, I was having a quiet time. I just had a sense that God was, was possibly saying to me, Andy, I'm going to use you to help people find their voice. I'm going to use you to help people find their voice. Now, what does that look like practically? I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't know, but I'm keeping it in mind. I've logged it and I'm holding it lightly. I'm allowing God to fulfill it in his own way, in his own timing and maybe for you there's there's dreams you feel God has given you and that and they've not come about in the way you've imagined and that's maybe led to disappointment but you know maybe God's plan is different to how you imagined it maybe maybe it's still to come maybe you've still to wait you know maybe some of you have heard of the Oasis Center it's where our Gorton site meets the Oasis Center started about 25 years ago Victoria Armstrong who goes to our, our, our Gorton site um had a dream that God was going to give her this old abandoned pub on the corner of Hyde Road, where next to the Tesco in, in Gorton. And she was going to use that to basically just show God's love to the whole community. Um, and God was going to give her that building for a pound, one pound. That was, that was the dream that she had. About seven, eight years ago, she was offered the building for a pound. She was also offered the adjacent land for another pound, um, which she, she took up. So it was two pounds she had to spend. Um, and she basically built houses on the adjacent land, sold the houses and built the centre and built a brand new custom built community centre for Gorton, helping the, the poorest of the poor. Now, that was 25 years it took for the dream to actually happen. And so many ups and downs. I mean, as many as the story of Joseph, believe me. But it's there now and it is doing amazing work. So when it comes to dreams, when it comes to words and pictures that God has for us, we need to be patient. You know, the fulfillment of dreams might take a long time or, or maybe we won't even see it in our lifetime. Like Abraham never saw the fulfillment of the promises that God gave him. I mean, think about that. He didn't see it. You know, our dream here at CCM is to, is to plant 20 churches across Manchester. Maybe we will see that fulfilled in our lifetime. Maybe not. Maybe we work towards it, but we don't get discouraged and we hold it lightly. You know, another, another example, we, we know a family who felt like they were called to plant a church in Europe. And after a number of years in this new place, it hasn't worked out the way they hoped. The church plant hasn't quite worked out and there have been a lot of struggles along the way. Now, we, we, could, we could say, well, maybe God didn't speak to them. Maybe they heard wrong about moving to Europe and they got it all wrong. And they should have stayed in the UK. But maybe that's not the case. Maybe God did call them to move to Europe, but his purpose for them was different to what they'd first imagined. Sometimes it's like that. Now, ultimately, what the story of Joseph shows us is that God is in complete control. Amen? Yeah. He's working through all the messy situations. And we don't always understand his ways, and that's okay. It's okay to, to wrestle with that at times. But we can trust that ultimately works all things for the good of those who love him. And the good news for us as believers is that we belong to Jesus and our future is secure in him. You can take that to the bank. And in this life, we, you know, we might not get all the answers we want or we might not see a happy ending the way Joseph did. You know, Joseph, 
You could look back and see how everything fitted out and worked well, how God used all the hardship to bring about good. You know what? We might not get that in this life. We might not get to look back and have that kind of clarity. But we can hope and trust that when we're with Jesus in eternity, we're not going to have any lingering questions left. Everything will be perfectly resolved. Everything will make complete sense. That's the hope we have. Is that good news? I'd love to end with a bit of good news. It's good. I just feel that for some of us here today, uh, God has given you dreams. He has spoken words over you in the past. But for whatever reason, I don't know, life, family, whatever, whatever reason you've laid those dreams down, uh, you've forgotten about them, you've disregarded them. And I feel like God wants... If that's you, I feel like I want you to pick them back up again. Hold on to them again. And I feel like these, he says, these, these words that were spoken over you, these dreams you had, I feel like God says, look, they were from me. I haven't forgotten about you. I still have plans for you, even in the mess of life right now. So I just feel that's for some of us here today. And if that's you... I want you just to think just now of what those dreams are. Those words that were spoken over you are. Think back to when they were spoken over you. Think back to who spoke them over you. Just bring them to your mind now.